I do a photo shoot at least once a year. If there was a year, I did it twice. Now, that one is. of those was a boudoir photo shoot. So we'll just leave it at that. TMI, oh are gosh. we recorded yet? Can you see the picture? Are you showing us yeah. pictures of you in your underwear? We don't want to see your underwear, Gina. <laughs> we don't no. want to see your underwear. You mean you don't want to see my pants? I mean, Suzanne, speak for yourself. If there are lazy garments involved, I can support the art that is required to put together a boudoir album. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Okay, but I'm keeping my pants on. <laughs> what was I going to say? Wait, no, wait, no, I was just going to... Oh. <laughs> I'm definitely the in the right spot right now. <laughs> Amy, welcome to the women your mother She can't get away. She's on the call. There's no getting away what now. What a great... No, no, no. It was like, I, I must have told a bunch of my friends, like, a, it was the name of the show, and I've definitely had seen it and noticed it, and so... Sign me up, count me in. Like, obviously, my people are here and I'm honored to be here and I'm excited. So, yes. We yes. are so excited to have you. And I'm going to get this right because I, I went to listen to your, your show on purpose, Amy Rehevchek. Oh my gosh. That sounded hot. I, no, it was good. It was good. Like, I, Suzanne, I had to make peace with my last name being butchered in the second grade, or else I would like never move past anything in life. Um, so it's like not a thing for me, but that was flawless. That was perfect. <gasps> that check. was perfect. You try it, Susanna. Okay. Try it. I wrote it down, actually. Um, <laughs> Amy Rehovchek. That's it. That is it. That is it. She not said only do we have English. Who did it better? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I gotta, I gotta give it to Gina because Gina, first of all, she went first, and so there's. I'm a fan of first movers, um, but also it was, it was just the the confidence that was brought to that final syllable. It was. Wait for it. Those people who are listening who can't see this on camera, you are missing Gina's disgusting smug smile after you just said that. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. That smug smile. She won. But next time I will win. Well, I also had the advantage of I am the performer in me, which I'm super excited mm. to talk to you about, Amy, because because I just feel the creative vibe coming from you. Uh, the performer in me, uh, I and, and Susanna probably could agree to this, but I don't think Susanna listened. I listened to one of your episodes so I could hear you say Rehovchek. Mm. Ah. And mm. I am I am one for trying to mimic sounds. There we go. Well, there we go. Well, I particularly loved your LinkedIn um, tagline on a mission to bring more joy. On a mission, oh, that's so awesome. On a mission to bring more joy, and there's a little picture of a fairy there as well, which makes it even more cool. I actually did a post about this recently. So that fairy, not many people know this. I have lost count how many times in my career I've been told that I'm a natural. So much so that when people, of course, it's always in the context of why someone can't do something or why something doesn't scale, right? Because you know, you're a natural. <laughs> but when when that comes up normally in conversation, the post was pretty good. I went line by line about all the things that I did and gave up while learning how to sell, uh, including music for a damn year so I could listen to books in my car um, exclusively for a year. But anyway, so I, when people tell me this, I like I have them come in. I'm like, you want to know what the secret is? And they're like, yeah. And so, <laughs> so everybody leans in. I'm like, this the secret. It's it's 
pixie dust. I don't leave home without it. And so that little fairy is a tag. It's like a double entendre of, you know, cute little emoji that you can throw in your name, as well as a, a dig on that there is no such thing as a natural seller. And that if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes two to raise a, a competent seller. Ooh. And there's no shortcuts. Ooh. Pixie dust. I, I want that. I love pixie dust. If I could use, <laughs> if I could sprinkle pixie dust on everything, I would. Right? Gina, your thing is sprinkles, isn't it? What? Your thing is sprinkles. You've been posting a lot on um, Instagram, like... You know, what do you call them? Like the rainbow colored sprinkles that you put on like... Um, oh, 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 cakes. you're talking... Um, Hundreds and thousands or something. You mean the things we put on ice cream? Yes, those things. That's your sprinkles. thing. Are they sprinkles? Yeah, are they... Yeah, they're well, sprinkles. you can sprinkle right? them if you want, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm totally uh, blinking out on that. But yeah, I like colorful sprinkles like unicorns and anything sparkly. Mm. But now we're just going on crazy tangents. This is what happens on this show. So let's get serious for a second. It won't last very long, uh, but you are on the Women Your Mother Warned You About episode uh, podcast sponsored by Sales Gravy. So uh, powered by Sales Gravy. Thank you for Sales Gravy and Jeb Blunt for giving us this platform. And Amy, just real quick, I'm just going to read a short bio on you just for our listeners. And then we don't know where this show will go. We never do know. Just so you know that that's just the way it rolls here. Susanna likes to try to hijack it. So that probably will happen. So a little bit about Amy before we get started. Amy is a revenue human for life. I just like, I need to know more about that. After selling enterprise tech for a decade, Amy pivoted to sales enablement where she built out two sales enablement departments. Way to go. These days, Amy is on a quest to sell ideas. Amy is currently part of the Andy Paul team. Totally stoked about that. And hosts her own podcast, Revenue Real Hotline. And boy, does she have a voice for podcasts. And when she's not working, Amy can be found at the beach with a book. Mm, yeah. And if you see me at the beach with a book, definitely do not come up and talk to me <laughs> at that point, but you can find me on LinkedIn at any other time. What beach are you at, Amy? I want to know. Ladies, you got to put this. So if you got your, your phones in front of you, it's so I'm in Seaside, I'm in the Jersey shore, but okay. put in like, uh, I guess I'm telling everybody right now, but it doesn't matter. But 206 Surf Drive, just give you an idea. 206. Of where, as if the, yeah. Well, at least she was. Now you might get stalked. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> well i'm i'm just i'm just down the road from you in, Are you? Uh, in south carolina oh just down I, the road just i down definitely road. have a, a northeast like a, dare i say jersey girl uh to gina i you know what it's a little surprise to hear that you're down south below the mason dixon line but well, you know what are you gonna do it's so funny you say that because people mistake me for jersey all the time and i think it's the hair it could be and, could have and the Italian, mm-hmm. um, but I'm actually from Chicago originally. Okay. okay. But I did recently um, play a part in um, Tony and Tina's wedding as Tony as Tina's mother. So I had to spend a little bit of time in Jersey. You got the the twang <laughs> down. That was good. That was good. Imagine I had to do that for four weeks, and it was <laughs> really. By the time I got done, I was like, "Who am I?" Oh my god! I anyway. just love all your accents. I mean, I can just pretend and put on my American accent. You, were, it sounds the same to me, but you all sound brilliant. Um, is that really offensive? I don't know, but um, I don't- I'm I'm 
Gina's looking offended. I'm I'm keen to know. <laughs> I'm keen to know. And uh, from from what from you, what is Revenue Real Hotline? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so that's my show. That's my podcast, and the the theme of the show is conversations and about uncomfortable conversations in sales or revenue. Really, the show is designed for the experienced seller. Um, and so when I for a couple of reasons, like one, I when I look at all the content that's out there for salespeople right now, the majority of it, like ninety percent, focuses around um, prospecting, right? How to open up opportunities, which is important, right? Obviously, that's a massive part of the job. Uh, however, there's a there's a lion's share of mastery that's required to move up the ranks, mm. right? Of AE and as you're moving from transactional, mid-market, whatever, through to enterprise. And when I really sat down and thought about, okay, what is the common denominator? What is the thing that I could focus on and help people to work on that translates, right? Across all those things. And, and the conversation, right, is where it's at. And so the conversation, at least from where I'm sitting, it's the building block of all relationships, right? It's how we experience the other person and it's also how we experience ourselves. And if you're doing it right, selling, that is, there's always an element of discomfort mm. to it. And so that's a that's a big part of the show. But then the other the other half of it, it was like there's a lot there's a ton of topics that we just we don't really talk about or don't talk enough about. And mental health is just a perfect example. Mm -hmm. Is one of them. We're starting to see that change a little bit. And so I figured two birds, one stone type thing. Mm. And yeah, so the show's coming up on its birthday. It's one year birthday. Ooh. Season two just dropped. We're on episode. I think I was just working on episode forty three for tomorrow. Um, and Gina listened to the the first and only actually at this point a solo episode. So most of them are about have been like conversations. But so I'm starting to incorporate like a lot of experimentation, different types of conversations um, and episode formats. And so, yeah, that's that's the Revenue Real Hotline. I love that. It's my baby. I love it, especially because you talk about uncomfortable conversations. I'm all about the discomfort and getting comfortable with uncomfortable, which would be my background in improv. And like, I love the messiness of the discomfort. And mm -hmm. to the point of, you know, reading that about you, I'm like, I was having a thought about it. Like, I feel like conversations shouldn't be uncomfortable at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird about this. Like, mm -hmm. well, okay, why are so, they even uncomfortable? This is great. Well, you did listen to the solo episode, so I got into that one because. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I so I Susanna, I was raised by a VP of sales, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so I've uh, back to the two younger sisters, one of whom is actually a comedian, Gina. So like we could talk about the improv and using yes. humor. Nice. Um, but yes. uh, my dad, when we were little, like I remember, I have these vivid memories of being asked at the kitchen table. When did we feel butterflies in our stomach that day? Interesting and, question. And and I know, <laughs> but like obviously it was an age and gender appropriate analogy. But the the connection there was butterflies equal discomfort. And if we didn't have a story to report back or a moment during our day where we felt uncomfortable, then we were reminded. Um, some days softer than others that all growth takes place outside of our comfort zone. And so for me, like I, I mean, talk about the type of person like you that turns you into when you are brought up that way during your developmental years. 
But like I learned how to one, how to not be afraid of them to Gina's point, be afraid of it. But I also, and to like take stock, like how many times did I feel uncomfortable today? Like Mm -hmm. think about that, but more importantly to reinterpret it and to see it for what it truly is, which is a vehicle for growth. And now marry that with a career in sales. I think a big part of me, I just was always so great at the uncomfortable conversations or got really great at them after a long time. And then you go back into the real world or or I look at my trajectory with like relationships outside of work. And it's like, there was definitely a comfort gap there. Yeah. You know, where yeah. I felt so much more comfortable with it, but it took me years, uh, years to realize that the resistance there was again, just based to, based on that, that, that delta on the, how comfortable we both felt about like an identical event. And I'm going to pause there. Oh, my shattered nerves. Everything. I can see Gina's face as well because we're both kind of like, I'm I'm thinking all these different things right now. But genuinely, in life, relationships, management, whatever, and maybe you could argue without offending the English people because Gina and I did a whole podcast on um, English and American styles, it could be argued that sometimes English people are very, we, we, we discovered a very scared to offend. And I see this a lot with friends, managers, when big, big problems happen because they just didn't have that difficult conversation, which mm-hmm. could have been solved really quickly. Like a friend, her godmother moved in with them because she didn't actually feel that she could say, actually, we'd rather have the space. And godmother moves in and suddenly everyone's hating everyone and this beautiful relationship's and mm-hmm. horrible just because they didn't have that easy conversation which felt very difficult mm-hmm. um so love what you're you say. you wait i, I just want to i want to back up for a second susanna because you you hit something there you said they didn't have that easy conversation that seemed difficult mm. like that's sort of where my head is like i look at i look at it as like this shouldn't be a difficult conversation it's just a conversation mm-hmm. Like why label it at all? Because when we put that label on it, we're making it more difficult than it needs to be. Hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. We, we label it because it takes the scariness away. Okay. And we, which is also some, that's a, a little hack there. I spent a lot of time in, with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so the, when you Love label it. something, right, the power um, evaporates. That said, I think that we avoid, maybe a better way to phrase that is if if we reframe what we're feeling, that label that we put on it, right? Yes. And so I I think that we we tend to see that initial conversation with the aunt and the friend as as being conflict. Yeah. Or we interpret it as being a a conflict-esque type relationship and, and also the natural tendency when we are looking at something that's maybe not easy to do is to avoid. And so with the uncomfortable conversations, it's like, it's extra easy to avoid, but I love actually, it's an older book. Have you guys ever, or gals ever read five dysfunctions of a team? Yes. I have. And this fake, this fake kumbaya is actually a fucking, are we allowed to curse on here? You could say fuck all day long. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's actually a fucking dysfunction. And so the aspiring to not rock the boat because mm-hmm. it 
whatever, minimizes the conflict mm-hmm. without acknowledging, obviously, the storm that's brewing underneath and, you know, obviously all the, the damage that comes by by not eating the frog. Yes. When I, it's right there. Well, this is, you know, this is how this this show got started, Amy. The, we're in our third season. Okay. Um, this is Su- Susanna's first season. But this show started three years ago. And the reason why my original co-host and I started it was to rock the boat a little bit because we got tired of people telling us how to how not to rock the boat, how to rock the boat, which way to rock the boat, what day to rock the boat. Like we got tired of trying to be everything to everybody um, and suppressing who we were. Right. So that's what kind of got all of this started was to get out of that dysfunction, which sometimes could make people like that, like us, like me. I don't think Susanna as much as me at this point. Um, Well, she's like, she's a rebel, but in a package that does not look like rebellious. It's the accent. It's the British accent. I think that's what it, I think that's what <laughs> it is. The matter of sins. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's, we didn't want to, to be that proper, like mm-hmm. the five, just like exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can relate to all of those sentiments, including this is why we start a show. <laughs> and you know, like, I think for me too, personally, it, I, it was one, if I'm oh, being honest again, it was a big practice, a deep practice exercise for myself. And I think of where, you know, society is at, right? To broad brush it or whatever, take a step back or go a little broader. Um, we're all out of practice, right? If we can, we can all each run a Google search right now and we'll get the results based on what we're most likely to click on. And so that we can look at so, uh, social media, right? Pushing us towards sameness, right? People that already agree with us and have similar backgrounds, have similar ideas, have similar values. And we've been almost insulating ourselves from the tumultuousness of the differences, right? For, For good cause. However, as I said, we are all out of practice, myself included. And so what are some of the types of conversations that we take on the show? I mean, I've had all manner of interactions with buyers. So someone recently, the last episode I recorded, it was a boss that professed love for a female seller. And um, there's stories of, there was a, a guy that in Chicago, actually, Gina, was um, breaking into an inner city community and the team did not want to pay him on a deal that he brought in because the company had like bars on their windows. I mean, just like really raw conversations. And I mean, I have people now that are submitting like podcast idea concepts, like they're like going back and revisiting a a conversation with a hard conversation that you had many years ago to see how time has impacted the perspective. And so, Mm. yeah, just across the board. And obviously we get into a lot of the practical um, aspects of hard conversations and selling like discovery. One of my favorite episodes is with Jeff Bajoric, right? Jeff, Jeff Bajoric does discovery and we go into, you know, why are we in such a rush to get through the discovery conversations? Same thing, Marcus Chan, we got into uh, contracting, right? And the length of time that it takes to move contracting from start to finish again, just because we mm-hmm. tend to delay the the start of that that legal conversation. And so, yeah, we're really across the board over there, but I, I've I've learned so much. Like I ask everybody at the end of the show, what's the most uncomfortable conversation you've had? And one piece of advice 
about mm. uncomfortable conversations. And it's even in just a year, it has absolutely impacted how I approach them, how I prepare for them, how I um, assume positive intent. Like, I, I mean, it's just a whole host of things that I, I just never, I didn't consider going into it. But now, like, this is certainly the path and I'm not, I'm not letting go. And here's some words from our sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe honed their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGrave University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. So obviously, <laughs> we're desperate to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. Let's ask you, what's what's been the most uncomfortable conversation for you? And we want pure honesty here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is this the only role of my show is that you keep it real. So I'll bring yeah, that real, here. Real. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about the one that's hard right now. It's the the negotiation is the money conversations. Like I am unraveling some. I'm like all of us, right? You identify a trigger or whatever, something that you you was a blind spot and now you're aware of it. And so learning how to lead with value, understand what my value is, and not and then how to price projects, right? How to have that, okay, how did it go? How could I do better? Bring it back to the money. And so I'm still I'm the I'm in this right now. Like I'm I've found a financial coach that I'm working with on like the the mentals on the money. And it's mm. it's very different now than it than it was like negotiating for deals, right? Because that was someone else's service. That was someone else's mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like as I'm growing my own business and projects and like how to scope them, whatever. But these are I like I I had one today and I got up from the chair and I walked around the corner and like and looked in the mirror. And I used to do a lot of public speaking. So I have this tell where I'll get blotchy. Like, and, uh-huh. and it like starts on my chest and it like grows. Yeah, yeah I get it. How, okay. Yeah. So I anyway, too much fake time. <laughs> <laughs> and my blotch was literally up to the bottom of my nose, like bright red. And I don't know if I had the conversation, it, did, it went great, right? It didn't, that we certainly made progress, but I, like I would have liked to see more progress in that. But anyway, yeah, these are fucking hard conversations right now. How much does this work to you? What kind of budget do you have? Like, how quickly would you like these results? And then negotiating up from there. Yeah. I've got a question. What are you afraid of? Ooh. What's your biggest fear that when you're having the these project goes away, the project goes away. So it's that fight or flight, right? The amygdala sets mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. So what techniques? And, and and you and you not giving the value. 
maybe not giving it or maybe like not having seen it. I don't know. Like I've identified that I haven't given it a couple of times and, mm. or haven't started with that, but I like, I've gotten, well, the reason that I'm down this path is I've just noticed like this terrible habit of undervaluing the work that I'm doing. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Have you figured out where, where that's coming from? I'm starting to unravel it. I had, um, I guess she didn't know to answer your question. I and. I don't know. It's, I don't want to say like imposter syndrome, nothing like that. Cause I know that the results are going to come. I know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think this is such a, and I know Susanna, you had something. I mean, I did not mean to hijack you, but this I think is such a, an important moment right here because you are not alone. Like this comes up so much for so many people and sorry, guys, I'm not trying to make a sexist thing out of it, but over time, because I've coached a lot of women in my career, it comes up for women more than men from my experience coaching. I've seen this and I've coached probably just as many women as I've coached men. And there's something around that worth and value uh, that we get stuck in. And it's interesting because I've had this, I've had the similar kind of experience. I'm sure Susanna has too, but I was selling myself for at least 12 years before I joined Sales Gravy. So I've kind of had this opposite thing happen. Um, that's not really the opposite. But the point is, is that I got to Sales Gravy and started asking for way more money in sales conversations because I'm representing Jeb. It's easier. And yeah, I wasn't representing myself easier. anymore. And I was like, this was, is so yeah. fucking easy. Yeah. Why? Now, now mm-hmm. okay, granted... Jeb Blunt is Jeb Blunt, right? He is Jeb Blunt. I'm not, and this is not, okay, so I got to be careful with what I'm saying here. At the same time, right, I'm selling someone in a more celebrity status, Mm -hmm. let's put it that way, right? Who has a bigger, further reach. I feel that. I feel that with Andy. I I know exactly what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, so for some reason, I was no longer fearful of asking for money. And I'm like, and it's funny because I have acquired clients for sales gravy that I had been trying to acquire in the time I ran my own practice for 12 years and never landed those, but then landed them 12 years later for (laughs) way more money than I had ever. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? So I just, I put all that out there and dump all that out there because I think everybody can relate to that. So if you're selling yourself, sometimes it seems it feels like a harder sell. But let's just say you work for a company and you're selling the company. At the end of the day, we're all selling ourselves and we get stuck and fearful of asking for money because we are still attaching it mm. to ourselves, even if it's no. not us that we're selling. Sorry, that was yeah, just a really no, I'm tangent. Paid devil's advocate because I don't do that. Like since I've had my own business, I have been more greedy <laughs> than I've ever been. Um, <laughs> I hope none of my clients are listening to this, but I, uh, I put my rates right up because I worked out that that translates. Maybe it's something to do with my kids and feeding them. I feel like I'm accountable for them or something. I don't know. Minor detail. <laughs> I yes. Don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's a. I think Maybe. that's valid, Susanna. Uh, I know, think I'm, that's I valid. But we do, you don't have Tesco's over there. But you know, I'll eat a. Um, I'll. I'll I'll have the cheapest stuff ever. I haven't got expensive taste, but I will I will bum up that cost. I'll be like, that's my money. I want that salary. But I believe in I back myself mm-hmm. with the value because I I think, well, 
if no one's complaining right, then it's okay. But then with other people's stuff, I'm more careful. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? It is weird. And everyone's, we're all special snowflakes, Susanna. Um, <laughs> we're all beautiful fairies. <laughs> we are. We are with our own, our own brand of pixie dust. Um, <laughs> pixie dust yeah, and sprinkles for everybody. So you asked Gina wisely if I got to the heart of it. Like, I think for me, part of it was like, like, I don't want to bring it back to the gender thing either, but it is in many, this is absolutely a gender thing because women are socialized to be nurturers right? We are supposed Mm -hmm. to be selfless and to give. And I think that that's a piece of it, Mm -hmm. depending in, in your home, like the men are the one it's, it's very, it's the guys handle the finance and the money. And so there's this skill aspect on it, on that piece of it. And so it it could be perceived to be unladylike to ask for payment. I don't even know. It's just like, it seems so ridiculous, like saying it out loud, but like, yeah, these conversations um, have been hard. How many people? Just because I'm so aware of my, what is it? The conscious incompetence, the four phases of learning, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm very consciously Mm -hmm. aware of all the room for improvement. But I bet you could think like how many people and how many women, for example, and friends, do people have who say, oh, my husband really annoyed me or he did this or this happened. For example, my baby woke up in the middle of the night, so I got up. Well, I I just get the bottle of water and I put it over my husband's head and say, it's your turn. Um, And I get Mm -hmm. it done. But I seem to be very unusual. No one else seems to do that. (laughs) You know, a lot of women are just like, they have a a moan and I'm just like, why don't you just have that conversation? So do you think that's a woman thing? Like... So I'm not a mother here and I'm, I'm walking directly into talk out of my ass, but my sister just had a baby and I was really like, she made the decision to bottle feed and she describes her reason for doing so is because she wants Dan um, to have the experience of bonding and feeding Bianca as well. And so same thing, like we did our first, I think it was Christmas or Thanksgiving and like we finished eating and like, she was like, yeah, get your ass up and do the, like we were picking up dishes too, because I want her to see both genders, like all parents participate in the the cleanup. And so I think that she's very unusual as is Dan. Um, But I don't think that I have a, a lot of friends too, that report also having these conversations with their significant other multiple times and things don't ever change yeah so back to sales here because gina will tell me off for digressing (laughs) but i know i mean it's at the end of the day it's it's about relationships um personal or professional um i look at every i'm always giving analogies in, in sales that go back to like day and i too don't have children um but I am about to have a, a stepson soon. So I'm trying to like teach myself how to be a stepmom kind of thing. But I relate everything back to relationships. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's what sales is about, right? It's about relationships. And if we're struggling personally with how to have relationships, chances mm-hmm. are we're struggling with how to have relationships in sales. That's just my two cents. You think? <laughs> I don't well, so, but I'm in all seriousness, like I I'm just starting to come to terms with the personal relationships that I put in jeopardy while learning how to sell and learning how to balance the emotions yeah. and my own di- mm-hmm. neurodivergent brain, ADHD. And so like I'm just starting to talk about it. But but now though, 
I guess so back then I felt like I was very good at forming relationships, professional relationships, but the personal relationships were way harder. So not to say that my experience is universal, but like, I, I don't know. I thought it was the work ones were always very simple. Mm. Well, I think the work ones are, are simpler on the surface because we may not get as emotionally mm-hmm. attached, but I think if we're good in the personal ones, we're going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And the business ones. So not taking away from, do you know what I mean? Like I've just noticed over time that the more I've mastered being a good human in general, personally has a huge impact on how I do in business. Well said. That's my two cents on that. I think it's well said. Casey Graham, I'm, I'm laughing about his LinkedIn post too. He did a post recently. So he just also wrote a book, the no BS sales book, something like that. Um, they were the only, Mm -hmm. They used a launch team for the book launch, which we were looking at for their sell without selling out. But anyway, so Casey did a post about how people have like a big event in their life that's like a disrupting event, and that people that he mm-hmm. he almost puts people into two categories. It's like they're them before it was pre-event and then post-event. And so I think that there's and the post-event uh, there tends to be more humility, right? Because there may have been a getting knocked on your ass <laughs> for your event. And so I think that that part of it comes as well, like humility and, you know, understanding that or remembering, right. If I I imagine a hyphen in between remember that we're on this planet for one another. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that ability to bring the relationship front and center too, Mm -hmm. I think is a big part of it. It's so interesting. I love these polls that you can put on LinkedIn and I put something up the other day saying, do you feel more, I think it was more, do you feel more excited by business relationships or by personal relationships? Oh, I forgot to get back to you on that. Yeah, you did message me about it was, that. It was no promotional reason, just being curious really, because I realized yeah. some of the people I really love, like on a day-to-day basis, tend to be people I work with and the, the type of bond you get with them is just so magical. So I was asking myself that question, um, guess which one more people said, personal relationships or business relationships, do they value more? uh personal business Ooh, wouldn't you like to know um it was actually <laughs> it was actually 70 percent personal 30 percent business but i was surprised how many people mm. said business um and the great thing is about those polls on linkedin you can see who said it and you can be like oh mm. that's interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> but i mm-hmm. so fascinating isn't it how humans can value different relationships in different ways and how some can be more to some people and some can be more to other people what are you you what got are you me really Gina? thinking? Come on. Got me thinking now. You business? What am I? You made a face. You're oh, personal. personal. And what about you, Amy? Personal. Which one do I value yeah. more? Uh, personal. But it, like, I'm I'm with you, Susanna. That it's it. They're commingled now, especially like it's. It, mm-hmm. I do a lot of work in community mm-hmm. too, right? So sales hack community, Rev Genius, um, Salescast, nice Revenue Humans podcast. Um, and so there there is a melding there for me of like the friendships that that form but yeah no i think it was um clayton m christensen i found this i didn't find out it was a book until later but it was the first essay that started h harvard business reviews on managing yourself you know how they do those must read series so making an effort to go through all of them the first um was a clayton m christensen which is the dude that wrote the innovator's dilemma he just passed away last year the essay was called on managing yourself or no, that was the book. But anyway, so it gets into how will you measure your life? <laughs> mm. And 
it just, I read this two years ago. I was actually in Senegal um, on the beach over there reading a book, <laughs> but I, it was, how do you measure your life? And, and it physically altered how I thought about my relationships and the people. And, and literally from that moment on, like I just set out to do better, to do a lot better to do a lot better. And plus like, I'm a work, I I'm a recovering perfectionist. I've been sober for all of, you know, 10 hours, but also like a business being a workaholic was my, one of my forms of kicking the can Mm -hmm. on getting healthy. It was a coping mechanism or an Mm -hmm. unhealthy coping mechanism. And so I almost, I feel for the people in your survey that that one strikes me as they're, they're still a little earlier on in their journey. They haven't gotten there yet. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? And I guess it comes down to what's important to you in your relationships because a a big thing for me, because I'm kind of on the fence, you might think I'm one way or the other, but I'm very much on the fence, which is why I put out the survey. And I think when you, for me, I've learned that when I've got respect for someone, right, real respect, that is when I start to really open up to them. Um, And that kind of coincides with personal relationships and business relationships. Um, Oh, Amy's looking like she uh, disagrees there. No, I don't. I'm just, I'm thinking about the, like, (laughs) how sales is the second least (laughs) trusted profession on the planet. And like what your take is, ladies, about that. After, by the way, being a lobbyist or a lobbyist, and that was going to be my first career path. I wanted to be a lobbyist. So really? I don't know what that says about me to hit the bottom two, the least trusted professions. <laughs> but like, why, why do you think, why do you think that is? Why are sellers not doing a good job on the relationship front? If you were, if we're to believe a lot of the buyer reports that are coming out right now, buyer sentiment that all says almost all of it is pretty like we could do I better. Think- I think in this world, as it is now, where we've got social media and we've got all sorts of ways of having quite casual conversations with people on a day-to-day basis, we can get by socially um, without having deep confrontational conversations or we can ghost someone more easily maybe because we're not sort of face-to-face with them as much. So people are getting less comfortable with having those those difficult conversations it's becoming something they can avoid more easily mm-hmm. and i think because they're avoiding it it's not that muscle that's being exercised mm-hmm. so and essentially the less you do it the more uncomfortable it feels and the more you can run away from it again email you don't have to have that synchronous conversation so you don't have to see their reaction so it's easier to hide behind emails you see in lots of businesses mm-hmm. um so i think that's part of it what do you think gina I can't even wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm still trying to, the, the question is how do we get, how do we get better and why are we there? And I, and I go even further back because for the longest time in my career, and I'm older than both of you, I'm sure I avoided being in sales because I didn't think I was a salesperson because I saw sales as a sleazy kind of non-trusting kind of, and I'm like, that's just not who I am. I don't fit that box. But people kept trying to recruit me to be in sales till I finally acquiesced. I'm like, what is, what is this? And it came down to the feedback I got was people felt comfortable with me and they felt 
they wanted to buy Like I've had people say to me, like, what are you selling? I want to buy something from you. Like literally someone came out and said that at a networking event, like I want to buy something from you. And I'm like, uh, so uh, I'm having a really? hard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard for me to answer that because I don't feel like I fit a stereotypical box. Have you read any of these, but like the, so I'm still talking specifically this year, any of the buyer reports, like a, what buyers are saying, any of the sentiment type stuff? No, share. I rate. I rate would be a good way to describe it. Mm. I rate. And then there was at one point, like I was doing a side by side. It was the, I think it was Salesforce, the connected customer. And then it was like how you're buying. I, maybe it was also a Salesforce report. So, and I'm a data person, right? So I sold information. I'm like very methodical with due diligence and the sources and the methodology, whatever. These were two good ones. It was the buyers, 98% of them, something crazy, were feeling like a number, reported mm-hmm. feeling like yeah. a number. And it was something like 75% of sellers thought they did a great job of like connecting with buyers, which is the first phase of what I would call selling in. And actually, this is in Andy's book, which is incredible. He breaks down the four pillars of selling in. The opposite of selling in would be selling out or being salesy, right? So abusing persuasion, right, is a great mm-hmm. example. Mm. Connection, first one, curiosity, understanding, generosity. Ooh. And again, so 75% of sellers think they're great at connecting. 98% of buyers are like, this is atrocious. The perceptions on both sides are different. So connection, curiosity, generosity. What was the other one? It's a, they go in order. Connection, mm-hmm. curiosity, mm-hmm. understanding, understanding, and generosity. Okay. And so like, if you think of how they build on one another, yeah. like you have to master connection before you get to a point where you can demonstrate curiosity yeah. to the point where you're given the accurate answers that you can then derive meaning from. Therefore, understand someone. Mm-hmm. And he breaks down the perception on both sides, right? So it's not only what is it, what does it do for your career to be able to understand your buyers, but how about this? What does it feel like to be understood, to be seen, mm-hmm. to be validated, and to be understood? Mm-hmm. And so we, I joke because it's like, we, I hear all this talk about differentiation, but it's not very hard to differentiate when you're giving buyers that level of experience. But anyway, so back to the the original question, which is, why why is there such a lack of awareness on the current state of affairs in the across the business of sales i think there's there's some some lack of emotional intelligence in some cases i've 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 witnessed this where the uh, multiple stakeholders involved in a situation in, in a sales situation and a salesperson getting frustrated with it And one of the common denominators in this example was that many of the stakeholders involved were actually fairly new to the organization. Mm. And so my aha was, hey, did did you ever think about what's going through that stakeholder's mind, right? Like, and there's several of them. And and I've had this too with a client where literally we were mid-negotiations when all the players changed. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'm, you got to go back to the beginning. Yeah, because somebody, uh, you know, there was, you know, the decision maker at the top mm-hmm. who then, right, delegated it to the next level decision maker, right? So the game changed because the players changed, but every, the deal was still on the table. Mm-hmm. 
but what slowed down the process was that all these people were new, right? And it was frustrating for another salesperson involved in it where they're like, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. And it was a really frustrating scenario, but I had to pull myself back, which I think this is where we can sometimes fail as salespeople. I had to pull myself back and go, all right, let's just stop for a second and breathe. What is what is the common denominator here? And what I found the common denominator was that all of these stakeholders were fairly new to the organization. Well, what comes with, right? Mm-hmm. This is the improv in me where we drill down to the universal truth of a situation. I'm like, all right, common denominator. They're all new. What does that mean? Like, let's think it out. Hmm. What do new people mm-hmm. do when they join an organization? What emotionally are they going through? Hmm. Well, they're drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. They don't know anything yet, so they're in conscious incompetence. Mm-hmm. They're probably doubting their own skills. Like what? And the organization, what the hell did I get myself into? Because it's new mm-hmm. and different. Yep. They don't know mm-hmm. the players yep. yet. A lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, they've probably had some experience purchasing a software in some other place. So the buyer's remorse and or the they don't want to make any mistakes mm-hmm. because they're trying to demonstrate mm-hmm. their competency. Mm-hmm. Um, should I go on? Or is yeah, that yeah. I mean, it's, it's right. It, it's all of that. <laughs> and you're walking into an organization um, trying to look like the proud peacock that you want to be on the surface, but down underneath the peacock feathers, you're kind of like a baby chick, terrified. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to get you to make a decision. And there's Mm -hmm. three other of you in the process. So it's a consensus kind of deal at the same time. And it's maddening. And so Mm -hmm. as the seller, you Mm got to like, create some objectivity and be like, all right, what is the issue here? That's the, that's the money statement right there. How do we move to objectivity? How can we, Mm. so this is a Marcus Aurelius meditations. An event is just an event. How we choose to interpret it is everything. And you're shaking your head because I know you just listened to this episode. I just, I just (laughs) did this one. Yeah. Um, And so it's our job as sellers is to, get to a place where we're able to interpret these events as objectively as possible. I think as humans, frankly, yeah. so, but that's hard to do. It's hard it, to it do. It is hard to do. But it starts and it starts from when we're children, as we always say. And I think a lot of that comes down to your mentors, your teachers, your parents. Someone was really horrible to, to, to me today at school, mum. Gina bullied me today, mum. <laughs> what are you... And mum has a choice. Mum either says, oh, that horrible mean Gina, why was she mean to you? Or mum says, hmm, did you do something to upset Gina? Let's talk about this. (laughs) So you're educating the child to start thinking what could have made that person. So looking at behaviour is something to understand opposed to something to react to, which, you know, if you can teach kids that from a younger age, they will often look to think look at things more objectively yeah. I think. oh true it's i so when i think i just read something this weekend friends and i want to share this just because it it it's my version of the answer to the original question right now or another piece of it that i hadn't thought of so this was actually i think it was buzzfeed of all places wrote in it was an article about 
trust. And it was a black gentleman that wrote it. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a PhD. So doc, like it was a big name. But anyway, the line was that that hit me like a ton of bricks is that our baseline right now is mistrust. Mm. Right. Everybody's like, nobody. it's not it's like, here's a, your blank sheet of paper. Let's kind of go from there. That's not where people are starting at in most instances. And so I think that we can all do a better job of, of especially the sellers, right? Of keeping that front of mind, right? Whether somebody's been at the organization for a short period of time or they're just living and operating in 2022, right? Look at what's going on right now. And so I think that we can all do a better job to bring more empathy and grace, not just with our buyers, but also with our, our colleagues. Some yeah. Positive intent. Yeah. What would it be like to not have an opinion right now? Mm. Cliff notes, it's li- absolutely liberating. Mm. Well, I so I can't true. believe that like nearly an hour has gone by and we sadly have to um, wrap this up, but I feel like we need to have you back on a regular basis because <laughs> there was so much more I wanted absolutely. to talk about. And um, this was this was fun with you. You have a great energy, Amy. We love it. No, this is amazing. Ladies, you have me at hello. You have me at hello. Well, we would like to have you again from hello. I love that you disagree with Gina as well, (laughs) by the way, Um, sometimes. It it makes it very interesting. Please disagree because give me something else to consider and think about, right? Like that's the the whole point, right? This is why we, we, we started this conversation about right? I don't necessarily see difficult conversations as difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. I just see like mm-hmm. it, as a conversation, like, please enlighten me with a different thought other than my own. Like mm-hmm. that leads to actual <laughs> conversation. If we're having the same exact conversation that we both agree on it, we're done. Like what else is there to talk about? Amen, sister. Thank you for the applause. Right. Um, this is something that we would teach in improv a lot. Like my performers would get really frustrated with like the audience has just given us the same suggestion that the audience gave us last night. I'm like, great. They gave you the same suggestion. Just do it differently tonight. Yeah. Do it better tonight. <laughs> right. Take a different stab at it. Like if you're bored, then get unbored, like find something new with it, break it and build it all over again. Anyway, I can go off on it. We didn't even, we didn't get to talk about the the improv and you know what else we didn't get to talk about? Susanna, I lived with a Brit for most of my twenties. I was a friend of mine from college and he, we built our careers together. Um, And so, yeah, I was really appreciating the British accent banter about the U.S. versus <laughs> Brits, and spent many, many an hour digging into There's that one. So much more to come. <laughs> will you, um, will you come back to the show? I would love to come back to the show. Fantastic. So, Nian, obviously, our producer listens to this, so he will have a directive to get you back on the show. And I know, Susanna, you're dying to ask a question. What? You know what? <laughs> because we had one earlier. Uh, quite a sensible <laughs> one, actually, about relationships. <laughs> would you rather? I, um, I'm i going to come up with a bit of a silly oh, one okay. now because I feel we've okay. had the serious one. I mean, this is weird. Oh, here this we is go. weird. But us Brits, we, we, we can be a bit off. <laughs> so for you, Amy, okay. would you rather chew your toenails or someone else's fingernails? Okay. Do I have to remove the toenail <laughs> with my own mouth? <laughs> <laughs> 
um, that is up to you. Which one? <laughs> I mean, I I I gotta I gotta trust in my own hygiene. So I'll I'll take the toenail for a thousand, please. <laughs> final answer. <laughs> Somebody else's fingernails, you know, like people people wash their their hands, like, and we're in a pandemic here. This show, I'm with Amy. This show (laughs) has just gone from sexy (laughs) to gross. (laughs) Did we get was the bourgeois? Was the bourgeois photo? Was that before we hit record, or was that at the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) Just to bring it back to sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Okay, don't worry. I'm going to ask you. Gina. Oh, but I'm with Amy on that. I'm not chewing someone else's fingernails. Yeah, no, I'm with you too. I'm with you too. It's good to know, right? That's a conversation that you know you wouldn't have every that day. That wasn't an uncomfortable <laughs> conversation. That was just weird. No. That was just weird. Yeah, and no one's ever asked me if if I would chew on my toenails in any capacity. So it was a first. And go. I like I like first too. Hey. I'm Amy, memorable. if uh, memorable. people want to reach out to you, get connected with you, what are the best ways to do that? Well, for starters, I would definitely say check out the show. Um, I'm also at revenuereal.com. And yeah, so there's that. LinkedIn is a phenomenal way to reach me. Um, if you can figure out how to spell my last name. But once you get past that, it's like a non-issue because there's not many of, of me out there. And then I'm also... We are... Um, I guess it's official now, but building out the Andy Paul scene as well. So awesome. anybody that's getting involved in, nice. in that land, I'll be very active over there. Very, very, very cool. Well, it was awesome having you on the so show cool. today. We hope you had it's just as much fun as we did. Oh my gosh. I had a blast. I had a blast and I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for having You're me. You're so welcome. And listeners, it was a pleasure meeting Aww. everybody. Pleasure meeting you. Hey, Warners, thank you for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I don't even think we had a chance to introduce ourselves, but by now you know that I'm Gina Tremarco with my amazing co-host, Susanna Gray-Jones. Any final words, Susanna? Yes, said very sexily. (laughs) No, but keep your sexy, keep your sexy, and good night. We're out of here. Bye. Okay, but I'm keeping my pants on.